0: Dana, good morning. Spooky, eh? She can sing. Most um, Advent songs that we sing are in fact Christmas carols, like um, Away in a Manger that we just sung. They're set on Christmas Eve night or Christmas morning. But a manual is grounded in Advent, the season that comes before Christmas Day. And the idea is it's a season of waiting and hoping. Christmas is at the end, but we're just not quite there yet. And it's a dark place. It's bleak, it's cold. Like those images there, in the middle of a snowfall, nothing is growing. But it's full of promise. And it was interesting for me that she sang a good chunk of that song in Latin, dead language, which was my objection to being taught it in year nine, but my objection didn't carry much weight. But I'll come back to the significance of that in a minute. The song is based on scripture in Isaiah 7.14, where Isaiah says to King Ahaz, the king of Judah, look, a virgin will be with child and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now the context of this was that King Ahaz was a bit of a rat bag, as many of the kings of Judah were. And he was trying to negotiate the politics of his era, so there was big, ugly, powerful Assyria just on the edge, big empire, sort of think 1930s Germany, and there there were these two little kingdoms alongside him and the two little kingdoms were trying to do a sort of a, a bit of a uh, an alliance so they 'd all go against assyria and so he was sort of torn, Should I go with the, the, the couple, my couple of mates, or should I align with Assyria and just accept the fact that I'm going to be a a junior here and God sends Isaiah to him and the message is don't go with either of these blocks, go with me trust me put your hope in me and hey I will send you a sign a young woman will be with child and she will call him Emmanuel Now Ahaz looked at these three options that he had now and he thought, well, I think the Assyrian god might have something going for for him because look how well Assyria is doing. And probably this was about the last chance for Judah to have got its act together. After this decision was made, it was probably inevitable that they were going to be taken out into exile to be punished by God. he would not accept God's word to him, which was, I will deliver you. You can put your hope in me. Now, through the whole Old Testament experience, those of you who know your Bible a bit, King David and his son King Solomon, that was kind of the high point of Jewish national life in the Old Testament. And ever since then, it it had been in decline. But in that decline, God sent his prophets, people to speak his truth into the situation. And their message was hey, look, sort yourselves out. God is going to send a Messiah, a person to bring you all together under his rule. Now, they weren't too sure what that was going to look like. It sort of had aspects of being a king, a bit like David, being a priest. Who knew? but somebody who was going to restore things to how they were supposed to be. They lived in hope, and that hope, in a time of national decline, a bit like the bleak place that we just saw in Enya's video. And eventually, some hundreds of years later, a virgin is is with child, God is with us, in the person of Jesus. But it doesn't go well for him. Rejected by the Jewish establishment, rejected by the Gentiles, the Roman authorities, he is executed. And to the universal surprise, he is resurrected. Surprise not only to them, but also a surprise to his followers who are not looking for that at all. The waiting is over, hope is finally fulfilled. But only briefly, because he ascends to heaven to be back with his father. And now we live in the church age. The kingdom has begun, it's been introduced, but it's not yet fulfilled. We live in what's sometimes called the now, but not yet. Not everything is fixed. Not everything is put right as it one day ultimately will be. So if we are ill, we can pray for healing. Sometimes we might be healed. Some other times we won't. Prayer is not always answered. But there is the hope that one day it will be. But sin still abounds until final judgment. And sin affects our planet. I, as I said, I've just bought a house. I bought it in Beckenham, not in Brighton. Sin affects our world. The pictures that we saw before were quite chilling, I think, particularly that one of, from the Ukraine with the, the, the big bird doll in the pram. I found that quite affecting. And then there's Gaza. But we could have put Burma, we could have put South Sudan, any number of other places. There's something like, at any one time in the world at the moment, there's something like 30 million refugees. That's six times the population of New Zealand living out of their country and of origin, eking out an existence. So sin affects our world, it affects our relationships. Christmas, this time of good cheer, is actually the peak time for domestic violence referrals to the women's refuge and to the police. It's truly the best of times and the worst of times. And sin also affects ourselves. I've thought a lot this year about um, Doug McConnell's reflection that the thing we have most in common that bonds us is our pain, our shared pain, the struggle of living. So we live in a place in the shadow of sin, In a way, it's a bit of a half-life, like that snowy um, image that we had up before. Things are not what they could be, not what they will be in full summer. Waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to return, for the fullness of of the kingdom, for new heaven, new earth, for true peace. It interests me that Enya sang half that song in Latin yes it's a dead language except for one place the Roman Catholic Church all their correspondence is in Latin, when the Pope issues an encyclical about something it's in Latin and then translated, if you study to be a Roman Catholic priest you have to learn Latin because that is the language of the church and has been for 2000 years, well not quite 2000 years but a long time pretty close to 2,000 years. This waiting, this hoping, this experience, it's not just us here today, it's all the church through the last 2,000 years. It's all of us. All the things that divide us, probably the one, the very few things that unites us is the hope and the return of Jesus, the putting right of what has gone wrong. Hope is huge. I want to tell you a story. When I was 24, I'd been married a year. I had been a Christian about five. Really, really good time in life. I was Living in Wellington at the time. And my mum was going to come down to spend Christmas with, with us, which was the first time we would have had much time with her since the wedding. She'd had a really tough few years with her mental health but it seemed like things were getting back onto an even keel. She was back working and life seemed to be okay. One night I got a call from my uncle to say that Edith's in hospital and he told me that he'd been talking to her on the phone and she started repeating herself a couple of times, dropped the phone, and obviously had passed out. So he rang an ambulance. But by the time they got her to hospital, essentially, she was brain dead. She'd had a massive um, brain hemorrhage. And they kept her alive because, I suppose, for my sake, but also that they, you know, they wanted the kidneys, which is fair enough. I got up there in Auckland to see her and the one decision I had to make was can we turn off the machine now? And I don't know if you've ever seen a a person on a ventilator but it's like a rag doll, up and down and up and down with each breath, it's awful. So I said sure. I didn't know then but that was the easy bit because I got back with her some of her relatives and we started trying to plan a funeral and oh my we don't want any of that God bothering business that you're into she didn't like your religion and so it went on and I was struggling at the time with well, you know, where is she and what's going on and Whatever, we'd got to a place where we'd had a rocky relationship through my teens, but actually we were in pretty good space at this point. We'd made our peace. And I felt like I'd been kicked all around the room. And I remember going to sleep, or trying to go to sleep that night. And it's hard to describe, but literally feeling like I had 50 kilos on my shoulders. I would have struggled to get out of bed. It was so heavy and my mind was going down all this sort of despairing track. And then a memory popped into my mind and the memory was of when I was a younger person in my teens trying to make sense of this whole God-bothering religion thing and it was mum who was questioning my atheism my agnosticism telling me stories about when she'd had encounters that had been significant for her and when that thought entered my head that 50 kilos just went ping because i discovered there's an equation you know there's e equals mc squared i don't understand it but it's they teach it but the equation i discovered is that a ton of despair is worth an ounce of hope It just takes a speck. Hope, I think, is the strongest thing in the universe. Our hope in Jesus returning is what binds us together. And hope allowed me, in the days that followed, to kind of understand that my family were dumping their grief on me and it wasn't actually about me at all. And enabled me to get through that what would have otherwise been a very difficult process Advent that we are in, the season we're in now points us to our ultimate hope which is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ it's not in ourselves, it's not about self actualization or becoming all that we could be, although that would be nice good as we are, it's not actually ultimately in each other either. It's not in a political or a philosophical ideal or even a religious ideal. Our hope is in the arms of our loving Saviour Jesus. Because frankly, nothing else will do the job. So I urge you this Advent, Keep your eyes up and look forward. Thank you. Could the musicians please come up?